Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. The Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When the Red Sox are getting utterly destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. The Red Sox wrapped up a three-game set against the Baltimore Orioles getting swept in all three games. Boston is the only winless team in the American League East. News out of Fenway, Alex Cora following the sweep told the Boston beat writers that the urgency was there with his lineup, but the guys were likely trying a little too hard. This is the first 0-3 start since 2012, the Bobby Valentine season. The Sox will look to turn that around as the Tampa Bay Rays come to town. News from around the league, the Nationals game against the Braves on Monday has been postponed. They plan on finally playing the first game of their season on Tuesday. Dusty Baker's Houston Astros are off to a hot start after a four-game sweep against the Oakland A's. Andy Martino of SNY reports that the Mets attempted another extension with Jacob deGrom. However, nothing appears imminent with their two-time Cy Young winner. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. Co-hosting with me tonight from Westwood, Massachusetts, is Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I wish I could say I was good, but I'm really not. I'm pretty depressed at the moment. So other than that, doing fine. Yeah. All right. And where can the listeners find you on Twitter? I am uh, at Color of the Iris. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a different Twitter handle, but that's Color of the Iris. Color, color spelled the English way with the O-U-R because I like to piss off Americans. So that's where you can harass me if you want to. Do you use the metric system at home? I do, yeah. <laughs> do you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in France? A royale with cheese, Terry. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't seen of Pulp course. Fiction in forever. Also <laughs> joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, is Charlie Smith. I'm going to boldly assume Charlie has the hottest temperature of everybody. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to stay real cool, uh, but it's it's awfully cold over here, and I'm, I'm awfully bundled up. For those that can't see me right now, I have uh, uh, thermal gloves on a carhartt hat uh gifted by my friend and then uh my red Sox sweater i'm just it's freezing out here up in new england for those that don't know um and didn't have the opportunity to see uh 
you missed out on a great opportunity to see Garrett Richards' rendition of Bambi on Ice. It was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. I heard he didn't stick a couple of the landings. You know, uh, very seldomly do you see, um, you know, football scores in baseball, but the Orioles were able to score uh, the three, you know, the three point uh, field goal, and then they scored a touchdown in the third. So all is well here in in, uh, in Boston. Absolutely. So we are in the first regular season episode. And our first segment, every show during the regular season outside of the bonus segments is studs and duds. We're going to kick off with that. We're going to name off three studs for the series. A little complicated when you get swept three games, but we're going to do the best we can with that. And then we will give our duds for the series. Obviously, plenty of choices there. Jason, you are in the leadoff spot. Go ahead. Who is your stud for the series? So my stud is the one guy who actually gave a representative effort uh, in today's game, and that would be Garrett Whitlock. Um, After that debacle of a first couple of innings, I think me and a lot of other people were sitting at home going, would you put Whitlock in already? Can we see what this kid has? Because obviously Garrett Richards, you could tell right out of the gate, was not long for this game. Uh, he had command issues, and then when he was finding the plate, he was getting torched. Um, he just did not have good stuff. So I was sitting there going, okay, we've already seen Matt Andrees, the first of the Red Sox quote-unquote stretch guys, if you will. Let's see Garrett Whitlock. This is a guy that was taken in the Rule 5 draft from the Yankees. I've been high on him since they took him because he was a name that I recognized. Um I thought the Yankees gave up on him too quickly. He looked awesome in spring training. I think he's a guy that, you know, max potential could find his way into the rotation. Like that's best case scenario. But for the moment, he's going to be in the bullpen and he's going to come in for games like this where Garrett Richards throws up on his shoes and he needs someone to come in and and sweep it up. And he was awesome. Three and a third. He gave up no runs. He struck out five, only gave up a couple of hits didn't walk anybody, and he stabilized the game because Josh Taylor couldn't do it. Now, granted, I have no idea why Cora was going to Josh Taylor after Garrett Richards, but we'll get into that later. Um, But Garrett Whitlock came in and finally cooled off the red-hot Baltimore Orioles bats because, you know, I guess we're we're running into a uh, historic all-time offense over here in Baltimore uh, that we didn't know about. But he came in, he stabilized him, he, you know, he cooled him off and he finally brought some sanity to, to that game and to this weekend. Um, I think this guy has really good potential and I, I keep saying it, it, he could find his way into the rotation because this rotation is not set in stone by any means at all. I mean, Chris Sale, we don't know when he's exactly going to be back. Eduardo Rodriguez is already on the IL shocker. Um, you know, Garrett Richards. Not a good first start. I think Ivaldi pitched really well. But, you know, Pavetta, we don't know what we're going to get out of him. Martin Perez, he'll be good. But, you know, he'll he'll have a couple of rough starts too. This rotation is going to be in flux the whole year long. And Garrett Whitlock is a guy that I think wants to be a starter. I think that he's thrilled to be here in Boston because he sees it as he probably has a, a good chance to find his way into the rotation, especially with his stuff if they can stretch him out a little bit more. So 
Today was a really good start to his season. I'm excited to see what he does going forward. I hope they give him ample opportunity to prove himself because I think they got a real steal here. Yeah, and we're probably going to start seeing the propaganda for him to be put into the rotation almost immediately, probably by the time the Tampa series ends. Charlie, thoughts on Whitlock? Uh, you know, Jason nailed it right on the head. I mean, you saw someone come out for three and a third, allowed a couple hits, struck out five, six, seven percent of his pitches are strikes. So you look at that, 39 out of 59 pitches are strikes. That's incredibly consistent. When you're hitting anything 60, 65 or better, you're obviously doing your job. So it's, it's, you're, you're automatic. You're changing, you're changing things up. You're keeping people guessing, um, you know, throwing 20 pitches an inning. If you're a reliever, I get it. But I mean, on average, if, if his, if his expectation is 60 pitches, rotation isn't going to be, uh, something that we can eye. Um, he's going to have to be able to minimize the total number of pitches per inning. If we saw three and a third over maybe 45, 48 pitches, then I'd say, okay, maybe you got a case, but we still got to work on consistency because 20 pitches an inning is not going to get it done. He'll, he won't even last the fifth inning. But I mean, right now, Garrett Whitlock is a, is a, is a start in your fantasy lineup every fifth day, every single time that uh, Garrett Richards is in there because you know he's not going to get the job done. You throw Garrett Whitlock in there and you know you're good till he's sixth or seventh inning. Uh, I think Garrett Whitlock probably could have been stretched out a little bit further. But I mean, what a star. We were talking about how um, you know, Garrett Whitlock, you know, Adam Ottavino wasn't the best Yankee pitcher that came over this offseason. Terry tweeted it. It, it couldn't be, you know, more accurate. Uh, this guy's an absolute stud. Absolutely. And he's never pitched above double A before. So this is his first time above that level. It's only been three games, but he's the one guy who carried the hype through spring training into his first appearance. So that's excellent to see. And I hope we see more. You know, if if we're looking at if we're looking at Erod, Evoldi, Whitlock, Hauk as your one, two, three, four before long, I suddenly Maybe there can be some optimism. We can't get too far deep into the hole, though, before before we do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Whitlock situation continues to evolve. Charlie, your stud for the series. So my stud for the series is Tanner Houck. Uh Tanner Houck suffered, unfortunately, his first loss in the season and first career loss after going 3-0 last year. Uh, and really kind of catching everyone by surprise. Um, five innings of work, allowed three runs, only two of which were earned. Struck out eight guys, walked one, six hits. Again, we're talking about the strike percentage. 54 of his 85 pitches were strikes. 65, 64% of his pitches were good across the dish. Um, I expect him to get stretched out. I think this is someone that can get you six, seven innings um, each start. He needs to be in your rotation. This kid needs to be... Uh, starting period. I mean, this guy is the real deal. I don't think it was a fluke last year. I think this is, you know, it's only up from here. Jason, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was really impressed with how, um, I was really impressed with how he attacked the zone, the, the whole game. He was, it felt like every batter, he was starting out with a strike. You know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't afraid to go after them. Um, and we talked about him that, you know, he's a guy that, if the Red Sox had more depth in the starting rotation to begin the year, 
he may be the odd man out. He may have started the year down in, in Worcester, but I'm glad that he started the year up in, in the majors because he, he pitched phenomenally. Um, and he was let down by his defense, unfortunately. Um, Rafi big whoops over there at third base, <laughs> just with one of the dumbest errors I've ever seen in my life. Um, so he was he was let down by his defense. That was a big theme the whole weekend. But he was awesome. I loved his confidence. I loved the fact that he wasn't afraid to just go after those guys because um, that's what you need. You, you need a guy who's just going to go out there and throw strikes. Um, we know, especially these days in the major leagues, pitchers don't like, or at least teams, managers, don't like pitchers to go beyond six, seven innings. And if you've got a guy who's trying to paint the corner every time, and you know all of a sudden his pitch counts up in the 90s by the fourth inning, it's not that's not going to work. Tanner Houck was working pretty efficiently, and you know was working with confidence. His stuff looked good. Um, now, granted, this is against Baltimore, who I know scored what eleven runs today, but still not a very good offense. So I am curious to see Houck against tougher American League competition. How's it going to look against Chicago? How will he look against Toronto, New York, Houston? Um, but for the moment, this was a very good start, and you know. He's a guy who they need that, you know, they need a young stud kind of uh, starter to come out here and give them some optimism because let's face it, it the way this, this is going, the future of the Red Sox is it's going to be their farm system. It's going to be the young guys and how pitching like that today was a huge step forward towards that. So um, yeah, big, big weekend for him. He looked great. People rave about his slider and how it's an elite slider in MLB. In four starts, this one and then the three he made last year, not one hitter in any of those four lineups has a hit yet off of his slider. So it's it's that nasty. It looks like we, we've been talking about that third pitch as well, and it looks like he's trying to mix in a splitter. It looks like that's possibly going to be the the third pitch that will kind of round him out as a, as a bona fide starting pitcher. He only threw three of them. So it, hopefully it's something they're going to continue to work on. And there's a lot of complications. We're not going to get into it this show. But it's hard to find a place for him because Pavetta's out of options. So you can't send him down. Richards, Evaldi, Perez, not, they're all veterans. They don't have options. When Erod comes back, he's your best pitcher anyway. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because they can't – if he's pitching that well, how do you justify an automatic loss with a guy like Pavetta maybe? So we'll, we'll see how it how it continues to develop. He's not slated to pitch the Tampa series. I think he would pitch game one against Baltimore uh, if he's able to make that turn through. But I like what I see. I've always seen confidence out of him. He's got the swagger. He's a guy that isn't going to be rattled by pitching in Fenway. And I can't wait to see more. I get so excited being able to see him pitch. And... Hopefully he continues to uh, develop further. My 
stud for the series, and I'm kind of surprised he's a stud the first time out because he didn't have a great spring training, did not hit a home run in spring training, which was also perplexing. J.D. Martinez, 6 for 12 in the series, and four guys did not record a hit in the entire series, but Martinez had a hit in all three games. And then today, hit a home run. So it's nice to see. We talked on a a few shows ago. I forget who was on. You have to have J.D. Martinez in the middle of that batting order because it gets really complicated trying to, you know, put Devers somewhere, put Bogart somewhere, and then try to find a five-hole hitter if Martinez isn't in there. Do you put Renfro in there, who's probably not going to get on base? So it's absolutely critical that J.D. Martinez at least reverts back to what he was giving us in 2019, which was probably a half a step below what he gave us in 2018, which was phenomenal. But if he can go get back to form, be that bona fide power hitter who's not only going to left, but hitting the ball oppo like he did so well in 2018. My optimism with the offense probably goes up a little. So, Jason, thoughts on Martinez? Yeah, that was really good to see that he had a good uh, series to start off. Um, He did actually have one home run in spring. It was towards the very end of spring training, so I don't don't blame me for missing it. But (laughs) it took him a while. It did take him a while to show the power in spring training. And that was a concern of mine because everyone kept tweeting out, Oh, JD looks good this spring. It looks good. I'm saying, and I was sitting there going, okay, well, where's the power though? You know, Dahlbeck's hitting home runs left and right, but JD Martinez hasn't hit one yet. I think he hit one. I don't know the last four or five games until when spring training ended. Um, But the bomb he hit today, I mean, that was almost dead center. That was really good to see. He didn't yank it over the monster. He, He hit it dead center. And like you said, when he's at his best, he's hitting the ball to all fields. That's his best ability as a hitter is that he can hit it to any part of the ballpark. Um, had a couple of doubles down the line, which looked really good. Um, he looks good. He looks locked in. And, you know, maybe he was telling the truth. Maybe, you know, those comments he made in spring training where he said, look, I wasn't prepared at all last year. I didn't prepare. I, I you know, which, by the way. Uh, the city of Boston was way too easy to forgive him on, but well, we'll get into that another time. But he basically admitted, he's like, I didn't try last year because I didn't think we were going to play. So I didn't prepare. I didn't do crap. Um, and maybe that's why he sucked. And maybe this year he did put in the prep work. Maybe this year he's finally ready to go. He looks good so far. And it was great to see him actually hitting because, again, this was supposed to be a you know firepower offense and Everyone kept saying, oh, don't worry. The Red Sox are going to score a ton of runs. Well, they really didn't uh, against a pretty crappy Baltimore pitching staff. So it was good to at least see one of them step up and have a really good series. And if J.D. Martinez is back and he has a really good year, that's going to be huge for this team, You know, to have him in, in the middle of the order because they're going to need it. Charlie, thoughts on Martinez? Yeah. Yeah, so so echoing just Jason, he actually ended up having a solo shot against Atlanta towards the end. It was you know a game that we won four zero. He had a weird turning point during spring training. So he was struggling. He was hitting two twenty two, 
and then went eight for 19 to finish off spring training, which was fantastic, including three doubles, the solo home run. He was getting on base with a couple of walks. The strikeout numbers were low, not that much of a concern. Uh, struck out far more times at the beginning of spring training, but it seems like he's kind of he's made the adjustment. What I really liked about J.D. Martinez is that we saw 2018, 2019 J.D. Martinez. You know, this, this guy who had six hits in, in a three-game series against a, I'm not going to say a crappy team because you can't call a team crappy when they kick your, you know, kick your face in three games in a row. But he had a double in each game. He had extra base hits in every single game. So he's doing his part. You can't say anything bad about what he was able to do in the series. Now, can he keep it consistent? That's another thing that remains to be determined. Yes, he struck out each time. He, he struck out once in each game. But he also got a double in each game, minimum. You know, game two and game three, a couple singles. His last one, home run. So say what you want. I mean, I know that I was a huge hater last year. I was super upset. I I don't know. I mean, I really hope that we see 2018, 2019 J.D. Martinez. That'd be nice. Hopefully he helps become the spark that finds a lot of these other guys uh, getting their swings. Honorable mentions, and there's uh, only one from the lineup. Christian Vasquez was three for seven, and that was mostly uh, today, entirely today, actually, when he went three for four. Unfortunately, uh, not much else going on other than him and JD today. Uh, a couple of guys in the in the rotation. Nathan Avaldi pitched well, five and a third, only gave up one earned run, struck out four. Sawman had a couple of scoreless uh, outings. Sawamura today wasn't quite as good as the opener of the season when he only allowed uh, one hit, struck out one. And uh, Matt Barnes had an appearance today, uh, one full inning. Didn't give up a hit, walked one, struck out two. So those are uh, some other guys who didn't look too bad. So we'll get over to the duds segment. Jason, you got plenty to pick from. Who is it? Yeah, plenty to pick from. I'm going to go with uh, second baseman slash utility guy, Kike Sandberg. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. That's Kike Hernandez. Sorry. I just, you know, everyone kept comparing, you know, saying, and he was the next Ryan Sandberg around here. At least that's what it seemed. Um, look, I was a fan of the Hernandez signing, so I'll, I'll say that right out of the gate. I like Kike Hernandez as a player. I think he's a valuable player to have on your team. But I think this is a guy that Red Sox fans way overrated as soon as he was signed. You know, $14 million contract for a guy who is a utility player. He's not an everyday player. The reason you know who Kike Hernandez is is because he played out in L.A. He played for the Dodgers, and he had a couple of good playoff moments because they were in the playoffs every year, and that's how you know who he is. If he was playing out in Pittsburgh where Brock Holt was, then it's just another Brock Holt. And this is a guy who Alex Cora loves. Alex Cora is going to play him every day, which I think is a mistake because I think when you play a guy like this every day, he gets exposed. And he played all three games in this series. He went one for ten. He gave you pretty much nothing offensively. And then quite honestly, he kind of he pretty much cost you the game on Friday. Routine double play ball that he bungled. And he was a guy that when he was brought over, everyone said, oh, that there you go. Red Sox defense is going to be way better. Kike Hernandez, he's so good defensively. You don't have to worry about him. Well, I guess you do. 
because he already cost you a game. Again, routine, you know, I know Andres wasn't great in that inning, but routine double play ball that he absolutely bumbled. And I just think that we're way overrating this guy. I look at him and I think, okay, great. You're Brock Holt with a little more power. That's it. And he's going to play every day somewhere in the field because Alex Cora loves his Swiss Army knives of him and Marwin Gonzalez. And he's going to play in the outfield. He's going to play at second base mostly. And I just think this is a guy who gets exposed when he plays every day. And, you know, he's probably going to end the year with, you know, below average stats. We're going to look at him at the end of the year and go, why did we pay this guy $14 million? I don't, what, what are we paying the $14 million for? You know, and, and it's just going to be another year where we don't get much production out of second base. So bad weekend for him, bad, bad start. You know, again, it, and he's hitting leadoff, you know, almost every game. It's like everyone said, oh, yeah, can't believe the Red Sox got him. He's going to be such a great leadoff guy. Oh, my God. There are so many teams that want him to be the leadoff hitter. I can't believe the Sox got him. Well, you went one for 10 as your leadoff hitter. How does that help you? You know, like it, that, that's not helpful at all. That doesn't he's not the spark plug to your offense that you thought he was going to be. He shouldn't be hitting leadoff. He should be hitting towards the back end of the order. Um, so I'm not impressed so far. I hope that, you know, it's just one series and he picks it up and he proves me wrong. But so far, I look at him as just, congrats, you're another Brock Holt. I don't want to see you play every day. So I understand where you're coming from and in an interest to not be negative about every single player because sometimes I – and get ahead of myself and get a little excited and get angry. And sometimes I make myself laugh because, well, there's not much else going on that's going well for the season. But I'm going to give Kike Hernandez a little bit of slack. I think he can do more than Brock Holt. I think it's more than just Brock Holt with a little bit more power. His track record speaks for itself. It's the first series of the season. Um, we know what he's capable of doing. Uh, the first game of the season, I think, was shaken off rust. I mean, yes, we had spring training and whatnot. Committed an error, picked off. You know, just th- things were not going well in the first game. He just, it was tough, you know. Um, he does only have that one hit, but the third game, got a walk. He's trying to get on base, scored a run. He's trying. I mean, it's not like your two guys doing anything either, you know. So it's not just him. We have a lot of holes, and it's uh, it's up to them, and it's up to the manager and Bloom collectively to get the ship going the right direction. Because right now it's it's not looking good. He's not the only one with a uh, with an issue. I would like the Kike Hernandez signing if the team was built the way it should be with bona fide guys at the top of the order, the middle of the order and whatnot. And Kike Hernandez is a career 240 hitter with a 212, a 312 on base percentage. Nothing about that screams top of the order. We, you know, put him in the one or two hole. That's a guy who's not going to get on base very much. Only twice in his career has he had an OBP better than 308. And that's why it's it's career 312. So this this is a bottom third of the order guy that's masquerading as a as a top of the order guy who can't comes from a team where Mookie Betts is the leadoff hitter, and he's arrived to a team where Mookie Betts used to be the leadoff hitter. So I just can't I can't stand this 
I can't stand Kike Hernandez being at the top of the order. He was one for 12. Is he going to hit better than that? Absolutely. Does he give you versatility defensively? Absolutely. But he's not a guy we can rely on at the top. And why was his jersey number nine in MLB? Did you guys see that? He had the ninth most bought jersey. Did Were people confusing him with Darwin's and Hernandez and he got like an extra couple million tacked in? I have no idea. I have no idea. There are definitely more popular guys on the Red Sox. And I just, it's a little frustrating. But at the same time, looking at this order, who the hell are you going to put up there anyway? <laughs> That's just the state of the lineup at the moment. But. Definitely uh, definitely a dud-worthy series by Hernandez. Charlie, you're dud for the series. So my dud for the series was uh, none other than Jason Taylor, who is the only person that was giving Garrett Richards a run for his money for being the worst pitcher in series number one. Uh, this guy had a rough first outing in the inaugural game of the season, the first one. Gave up three hits and earned run uh, in a third of an inning. Only good thing was that 65% of his pitches were strikes. So I'm, I, that's going to be a theme this year for me because I'm really going to be honing in on that. And then today, the wheels fell off, and he just wasn't good. He just was not good. Five hits, four earned runs in two-thirds of an inning. So in two games this season, your left-handed your very limited left-handed relievers uh, with Jason Taylor being one of those two has given you one inning has given up five runs all earned on eight hits walking one striking out two. 26 of his 45 pitches are strikes 58%. There is not much to say that looks good. What other options do we have in the left-handed, you know, left-handed department? The only one I can think of is injured right now is in the minors, but they're not going to bring him up. There's no point. It's game three of the season. Can Jason Taylor write the ship? Sure. Does he need to write the ship? You're damn right. Because there's only two of them. And this is not a good sign. If game three, you are letting the Baltimore Orioles blow the doors off in your house. It's completely unacceptable. Jason. So, uh, yeah, it, Josh Taylor. Not, I, I wish he was Jason Taylor. From the, <laughs> I, I I'm wish sorry. He, I I'm wish sorry. he played like Jason Taylor, the guy who played for the Dolphins. Then he'd be good. <laughs> I, was yeah. at you. I was looking at you. That's my fault. Sorry. Then he'd be a potential Hall of Famer. Yeah, no, Josh Taylor did not look good this weekend. I, I don't understand. I don't know if he's still hurt. I know he was hurt a lot, you know, last year during the COVID year. His something just seems off with his mechanics. Like today, he couldn't get a fastball down the middle. It kept sailing up. Like it just it kept sailing up in the zone. His control was not good. The velocity is still there, but like he was all over the place. And right. this was a guy that we were talking about, and and you know Red Sox media cartel was talking about. Is like, oh yeah, he's you know pencil him in for the eighth inning. If you got a, a lineup of lefties, pencil in Josh Taylor. For the eighth inning, it's like, no, you can't do that now. He he looks like a mess. His control's all over the place. And again, I, 
if he's still kind of hurt or something, uh, you know, because I know that he was he wasn't there at the start of spring training. I think he joined midway through. Um, so maybe there's something there, but he needs to sort something out because, again, that was a guy that they were relying on to be a late inning lefty option. And he looks completely unreliable right now. Um, really bad series for him. So hopefully, you know, maybe it takes an IL stint. I hope to say that, or I hate to say that because we've already got another lefty on the IL. We don't need to throw others on there, but if it takes an IL stint for him to kind of get things sorted out and get that command back, then let's do it because it's early. You might as well do it now. Um, He looks like a mess. So I I don't know what's going on there. It was this year and last year. I mean, two years in a row. 2019 was good. 2020 was brutal. And this year has already started off kind of where it left off. The, The sad thing is that He's almost given up as many runs in this series that he did all of last year. And he well, only pitched in seven innings. But that's yeah. just, that's <clears throat> he actually he got off to a rough start in twenty nineteen as well. He gave up runs in three of his first five outings. One of them was a four spot, so he got tattooed, and then after that he kind of settled in and uh, was one of our better relievers down the stretch. And then last season, like you guys said, in two out of his first three appearances, gave up runs. Uh, two runs in one appearance, three in the next one. So um, he's a guy who just doesn't seem to start off very well and then settles in. So hopefully after today they they fine-tune whatever his issues are. Luckily, our bullpen is fairly deep, so you can kind of put him into a mop-up role. Maybe he can work through his issues uh, in, in those type of scenarios. But we are very thin uh, in the in the lefty department, as Charlie was saying. Darwin's and Hernandez is the only other reliever in the bullpen that is a lefty. So, And he's shaky at times as well. So Hopefully the both of them kind of get it together. I've been an apologist of Josh Taylor. I, I kind of, once he gets going, I really love the upside he shows. But at one point I thought Marcus Walden was going to be a good reliever. And then he just turned out to be a bust. And Colton Brewer as well. So hopefully hopefully he doesn't go the way those guys went. But definitely not a good start in a good uh, appearance, I should say. And even with those four earned runs, he still gave up all the runs that got charged to Richards as well, which was another three. So a good six or seven runs got put up uh, once he came in. And that kind of leads me into my dud for the series. Garrett Richards uh, only went... Two innings today, gave up seven hits on six earned runs, walked two, only struck out two, and just never really, his command wasn't really off, but he was just getting slapped around, it seemed like, and towards the end of the first inning, they had, I think, Garrett Whitlock up, warming up, and then Richards got out of the inning, and then things weren't looking good in the second inning, and then they got Valdez up to warm up, and then Richards got out of it. And then in in the third inning, there just was no recovering, and he got pulled out, and the Josh Taylor choice was pretty questionable at the time. Uh, Valdez might have been a better choice, but 
Um, it, it was not a good outing for Richards and he was up and down in spring training and seemed to be kind of into a good rhythm coming into this start based on his last couple of appearances and just didn't, didn't look good. And I was perhaps one of the biggest, if not the biggest critic of this signing last winter. I didn't like it. He had command issues last year, got put into the bullpen in the second month of the 60-game season. He's only pitched 76 innings in the last five years coming into this, last four or five years anyway. And it just seemed like an unnecessary risk to take. And then after today's outing, none of my concerns have gone away. They're they're just completely at the forefront. And I think the money could have been spent more wisely instead of bringing Garrett Richards to Boston. But Jason, your thoughts? Yeah, this this was disappointing because uh, he was starting to really turn it on, you know, towards the end of spring trading. And it finally looked like, okay, there's the $10 million we spent. There's the guy that everyone said, oh, he's finally healthy now. You know, he's he's going to be valuable now. And his first start in the regular season, he just, you know, the command, like you said, the command was good. He just, his stuff was getting hit. He, he didn't have, you know, swing and miss kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, this Orioles lineup is not, you know, a bunch of killers. It, it's, it's a decent lineup. I'm not going to say they're terrible. They've got some good young hitters in there like Mountcastle and Santander and, you know, whatever. But what's going to happen when Garrett Richards has to face the Yankees? What's going to happen when he has to face the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Astros, even Oakland? Like, there's so many good offensive teams in the American League that if he can't put it together against a team like Baltimore, then you look at it and go, well, is he magically going to be better next time against one of these better offensive teams? I doubt it. Um and like you said, I just $10 million for this guy. You could have spent that money elsewhere. You could have spent it on Charlie's guy, Corey Kluber, who was pretty good in his first Yankees outing. Not too bad. Um, you know, that's that's going to be something. And I know people hate that because, you know, people, oh, you can't compare every start. Well, we're going to do that because the Red Sox had a legitimate shot at Kluber and they chose to go with Richards instead. And that's going to be something that we're going to compare those two all year. And, you know, it's probably going to go back and forth. But so far, Richards, his first start was a complete mess. It was a complete mess. And for me, it was more about the spot, too. You know, you, you lose the first two, right? And everyone knows that this Red Sox team had to get off to a good start, especially after last year. So, you know, you give the ball to Garrett Richards and you just say, just give us good uh, five good innings. Just give us five good innings so that the team can kind of get back in this, you know, get back into the season, not start out 0-3, you know, get things going. And he goes out there and gets his ass kicked. He goes out there and completely throws up on his shoes when the fan base and team needs him to be a stopper. And maybe that's Alex Cora's fault for making him the number three guy. I don't know. But – Again, he needs to be a stopper. He was not. He made things worse. Um, this guy, you know, he's going to have to really come out his next start and be just gangbusters. 
because if he has another bad start, the the patience of I think the Red Sox fans, but also the Red Sox management is going to be real thin with this guy. So I'm hoping he puts it together next start, but this was not encouraging at all. It's, you know, it's funny is when we were picking studs and duds and before I was, I'm really high on Tanner Houck. I liked him last year, had him on my fancy team. Unfortunately, I didn't get you this year to get him again, but I love that kid. My original stud was going to be the Red Sox fans that are still here. Because uh, it's hard watching this two years in a row. Like, it's like, like that water boy mascot, the one that's like drunk, falling over the table, passing out on the field, just a mess. And uh, I really like that expression, throwing up on your shoes. Like, that's just hilarious. Uh, but, I mean, here's the thing. There are going to be some, and there are many, whether we, we know them uh, well or not, that will say, well, you never had a chance at Kluber because Kluber was going to go to New York, blah, blah, blah. The difference is that Kluber's getting paid $11 million to give you, in his first start, one earned run on five hits, striking out five in four innings, or $8.5 million, six earned runs on hits in two innings. Oh, yeah. You faced the Baltimore Orioles. There's a theme here, and uh, it's not fun. Uh this is something that we had talked about um, not not too many shows ago. I think it was three, maybe four shows ago, where we were talking about what the season was going to look like with the rotation and what we thought was going to happen after the first three series. And uh, Terry had a, a somewhat positive outlook on this. I, I believe it was a five and four <laughs> outcome. It could and still it, happen. And it, 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 it could still happen. <laughs> That means the Red Sox need to go five and one. One, yeah, <laughs> it's not. Now happening. I said four, four and five. There's a chance they could win four, and I was just being polite. I was trying to, you know, I had some optimism rubbed on me, but after the first game of the season, I said, "We're lucky if we win three games in the first nine. We'll be lucky if we win three games. Why? Because your pitching is inconsistent." Slash downright guards it's just terrible and your, your offense isn't hitting like i'm not going to get angry at this point because you know terry you, you kind of hit the the nail on the head with, with keek i didn't really think about it that way but he's not a leadoff hitter this guy hits 240 what are you doing like you want to get that swiss army knife dual versatility triple versatility of some guy who can play everyone in the outfield everyone in the infield just can't pitch can't catch awesome great and you had marwin gonzalez you had a whole bunch of other players too you can't just survive on utility players that hit 240. You can't do it. It's not how the game's built. And when uh, one of your best players on your team, uh, Xander Bogarts, is hitting what? What's his batting average now? I think it's 088. 125, oh, I think. 083. Oh, okay. That's awful. You can't live on that. That would mean your pitchers, Garrett Richards, would have to pitch like vintage Josh Beckett, like playoff Josh Beckett, in order to be to, to give this team a chance. We did better as far as scoring more runs each game because game one, we got shut out by John Means, which, to Jason's credit, is is a sleeper pick. He, this guy could could do well, right? Uh, second game, we lose four to two. And Tanner Houck pitched. I think it was a spoiled opportunity. Why did that game suck? 
because you lost to Matt Harvey. That's what sucks. And then game three, we've been talking about this. I mean, the game was over in the third inning. Some argue the game was over in in the first inning because it was, all right, well, it's 3-0. Well, we've scored two runs all season. We probably don't have too much of a chance. And then the third inning happened, and then, well, <laughs> we already know what happens. So it's tough. Everything needs to be completely, I mean, closed-door meeting, do whatever you have to do. You cannot get outscored 11-3 to in the third game of the season and have the doors blown off in the first series of the season, and you get swept. You're the Boston Red Sox. This is not a team that has a $40 million payroll. You can't, It just can't be done. And you can't be paying millions and millions of dollars to players that aren't going to get it done. $8.5 million for a player that can't even get to the third inning. Can't even get through the third inning. I'm sorry. But if, if people are going to be saying, oh, just give him another start, even if he does subpar, it's still going to be it's still going to be blown. He would need to be perfect in the second game to make up for this. And that game is probably going to be against the Baltimore Orioles again in the series after Tampa. Here's another thing I, I found hilarious. Um, if Garrett Richards followed David Price's career in Boston, you know, there's there's things you don't want to act and don't want to say to the media. This is apparently what he said, and Christopher Smith from Mass Live uh, tweeted this in uh, quotes, and this is Garrett Richards. Obviously disappointing that I didn't come out and throw a complete game shutout the first time, but I've got 32 more starts, he says. <laughs> 76 innings in the last five years. He goes on to say, yeah, today didn't go great, but I threw plenty of strikes and some competitive pitches and threw some great pitches that honestly just ended up not going our way. So that's Garrett Richards' take on his own uh, performance. I would probably recommend being you know, a little more humble about sucking so badly. You know, <laughs> I just... Charlie's uh, struggling, so we'll let him compose himself. Jason, just some thoughts on his comments. Yeah. So first of all, I'd have to I'd have to actually hear them. I, I didn't pull the auto. I don't know how like sarcastic he was, but boy, he's that's optimistic for him to say he's got thirty two more starts. Has Garrett Richards <laughs> ever made thirty two starts in his career? I'm not even sure he has. Um, so that's optimistic. It's also optimistic to think that they won't yank you out of the rot- out of the rotation before you can get to 32 starts. Um, but yeah, I I kind of hate that. I, I hate the whole. Well, I'm sorry I didn't pitch a complete game shutout. Like, dude, you didn't have to pitch a complete game shutout. You just didn't have to completely suck in your first outing. You just had to give a representative effort in the third game of the season, and you couldn't do it. You were a mess for most of the spring, and then you had a few good starts. And, you know, you again, the team was down. They were 0-2 to start the year, and you were, you know, the third pitcher in the series. Like, can you just go out there and not suck? Can you just go out there and not completely crap your pants? And now he's going to – he has the gall to sit up there after the game and go, well, I've got 32 more starts, and, you know, today wasn't a, a complete game. You shut up, but the next one will be just you wait or, you know, whatever. It's like, dude, it, no. Like, you don't get to pull that crap, especially when you've barely been here. 
you, you, you've been here for a cup of coffee and you're already given flack to the Boston media. Like, dude, just close your mouth, go, go out for your next start and try to make it past the third inning this time. Let's start with, can you make it past the third inning without getting yanked out of the game for Garrett Whitlock to come and save your bacon? Like, how about you make it three or four innings next time and not give up the game in the third inning? And then you can start giving flack to the boss of media. Until then, I don't want to hear you. Close your mouth, go back and, you know, fix your mechanics or whatever the F you're going to blame it on and go out for your next start and pitch well. Because honestly, after last year, the patience of myself and other Red Sox fans is at an all-time low. And the last thing we need is a guy who hasn't been healthy for God knows how long, had one good year, and he's coming in here making probably too much money and saying, well, sorry, I didn't get a complete game shutout for you. I'll try next time. Like, bullcrap. Just close your mouth, pitch better next time. I don't want to hear from this guy. Charlie. I needed to be muted. I had to be muted. Because on multiple occasions just now, I crapped my pants laughing so hard. I, I, you may just be my new favorite spirit animal, Jason. You may <laughs> have just done it. Uh, and you do it so eloquently in a way that you don't have to use inappropriate language, which I think is even more impeccable. Uh, Garrett Richards has only thrown more than 30 starts once in his career. Actually, more than 26 starts. One time. One time. And between 2016 and 2019, four years, had started less games. It hurts. It really does. But when you've been a pitcher or a player for the Boston Red Sox for six minutes, I don't think I would have used quite those words. But, you know, I'm just a fan with thoughts uh, that I think resonate with a lot of people too, because I don't think anyone wanted to hear what Garrett Richards had to say. I think what we wanted to see him do was uh, just admit I sucked. I need to do better. I'm going to leave it there and walk out because giving us what you said, I threw some good pitches and someone just went the other way. You threw great pitches to the other team, is what you did. You didn't throw great pitches for your team. You didn't throw great pitches for yourself. Uh, I don't think you grooved any, but I just don't think anyone's scared of you either. No one's going to say, oh, crap, we got to face Garrett today. It's going to be more like, I've been struggling lately. I get to face Garrett today. And that needs to change. The perception of that reality needs to change. And that's only going to happen if he starts doing well. And it's, you know, it's it's like that parent saying, good job, Timmy. Good job, Garrett. Like, good game. You need to do better than just the third inning. You really do. Because you got a guy out there, Tanner Houck, who's lighting up the Christmas tree every time he comes out to pitch. And uh, he's not getting paid $8 million a year. He's getting paid a fraction of that. So do better. That's it. Do better. Getting uh, into the dishonorable mentions, uh, quite a few of them. Alex Verdugo, 0 for 11. Xander Bogarts, 1 for 12. Hunter Renfro, 0 for 7. Struck out three times opening day. 
Uh, Raphael Devers, 0 for 6. Couple of error, well, one error actually, and uh, and then uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, who is one of my chief concerns right now, 0 for 11 with five strikeouts on the series. This is a guy that needs to get it together, but at the same time, he's probably going to be replaced with another guy who might not have it together. And that's Michael Chavis. So, how how many games does he have left before they got to make a tough decision? Yeah, this is this. Oh, sorry, Jason, you go first. No, I, I was just gonna say probably too many because I think the Red Sox are super high on him. So I think that he's actually gonna have a pretty long leash, and you know. Might might even end up just staying at first base the whole year. I think they're super high on him, and I'm just not seeing it right now. I think they're going to be diplomatic with it. And this is, I mean, you think about the highly touted prospects that we've had. Michael Chavis came up, tore it up. Dahlbeck did the same exact thing. We saw Dahlbeck this spring hit, I believe it was seven home runs this spring, and Chavis had six which is crazy because that was the second and third most. I think Jock Peterson ended up having eight or nine uh, spring training home runs because he just tore it up towards the end of the uh, spring. 0 for 10 with five strikeouts. We knew that he was going to strike out. That's that's like our own personal Red Sox version of Adam Dunn or Chris Davis. Uh, he's going to strike out a lot. But he's also going to mash a lot too. The issue is that I think the Red Sox, since they're 0-3, they have really nothing more to lose, but try him out is what if you run the risk of not giving him a proper chance? And then you have the Yuan Mankata effect where I believe he struck out in his last nine at bats when he was a member of the Red Sox, uh, Red Sox before he ended up getting moved um, for Chris sale. And uh, that's going to be thing. Yuan Mankata is one of the up and coming prospects. You know, how, how old's Mankata like 24, 25, I forget I, I, how old he is, like but that's that. the same thing. I think Dahlbeck is the same age. Isn't he 25, 26? Uh, I believe he's 25. 25? Yeah. Yeah. So he's 25. I, you're 0-3. It's the beginning of the season. What's the worst that could happen if you if you give him another 3-4 series? He goes 0 for 40. That's not going to happen. He's going to have three or four home runs in the next two, three series, uh, you know, three, four series, I would imagine. Yes, he's going to strike out a lot more times. In the first 50 at-bats, I would be shocked if he doesn't have at least 25 strikeouts. With that being said, I would also be shocked if he doesn't have five, maybe six home runs. Because he did have one shot in the first game of the season, I believe, where it went deep to left field, and it went off the end of the bat. And as soon as it it, it, uh, went to left field, I was like, oh, that's gone. That's out of here. And the left fielder was sitting at the warning track and just caught it. The wind just killed it. It just it went right off the end of the bat. So literally, we could be sitting here saying one for ten with five strikeouts and a solo shot. Unfortunately, we're sitting here zero for ten. It's going to be a lot of boom or bust with him. So it's it's hard. I mean, Chavis was a real professional about going back down. He had options. Um, I did have. I was going to pose that question. You know, in a perfect world where all the stars align, who would you rather have? Michael Chavis or Bobby Dahlbeck? 
and the Red Sox ended up keeping Dahlbeck and sending Chavis down. Could it have hurt to keep Chavis up and put Dahlbeck down to the minors? You know, it's it's tough. It's really hard. But, I mean, I think at this point, don't shatter the kid's confidence. Keep him up here. Give him another couple series. See what happens. What if he hits, like, three home runs in his next game? We're going to be laughing at ourselves. I think the other thing, too, that's going to benefit Dahlbeck is his glove. He he is a very he looks like a very solid defensive first baseman and with Rafi Big Whoops over there who can't seem to throw the ball to first base without getting it in the dirt so far um, you're gonna need that because if that were Chavis over there at first base a lot of those balls are getting past him he doesn't have the glove that Dahlbeck has so I I think you know when I look at Dahlbeck I I look at him and I think like Mark Reynolds. You know, like that, that might be what he turns into a really good defensive first baseman who might hit 30 home runs a year, but he's going to hit for a low average. He's going to strike out a lot. Is that, you know, is that a valuable asset for the future of your team? Or is that a guy that you trade away? I don't know. I, I don't know what the Red Sox will do if it comes to that. But I think for now, his glove will keep him in the lineup because it that's important. You know, I, I think Mitch Moreland proved that that having a good, solid defensive first baseman is actually more important than you think. Um, and I think Charlie's right. I think eventually he will run into a couple of home runs, and it will help to ease you know the pain of him striking out all the time. But if he doesn't start hitting for power, and he just keeps you know whiffing, you know, if guys, if bums like Matt Harvey keep just blowing fastballs by him, if it, it's going to be tough, it's going to be tough to justify keeping him in the lineup. You know, I, I spoke about J.D. earlier and how he's found his power again. And he had a home run today, but like Charlie said, he was hitting doubles. And he's just able to rifle the ball like a bona fide power hitter. That's all I want to see out of Dahlbeck. I don't care if it goes over the fence. If he can slap it off the monster or rip it up one of the gaps, that's that's all I care about. One of the most painful things this weekend was the fact in Game 1 – he stranded two runners on base. Game two, he stranded three runners on base. And then today, stranded four runners. So this is a guy who's not going to be plating many runs. And we've had some decent first basemen over the years. Moreland was good against righties. And Hanley was okay, you know, except for that last season where he ultimately got DFA'd. But we've had first basemen that have been adequate and it's just painful to see and I think he's got the wrong mindset every year in spring training one guy just kills it it just absolutely kills it and it's been a jinx at times Pablo Sandoval was the stud of the 2017 <laughs> spring training and what happened DFA'd shortly after that um Mike Napoli was really good one of those spring trainings and then went out and had the worst season of his career. So that's why I don't put a lot of stock into it. I've had a lot of concerns. I don't know that he's going to find his groove against Tampa Bay pitching because they use openers. They keep teams off balance. And it's, it's a very tough lineup to hit against. We've struggled against them the last couple of years. Here's one other thing I want to throw out there. Raphael Devers, he typically sucks the month of April. And then 
proceeds to have a decent season beyond that. And that could very well happen this year. But we've seen the Toronto Blue Jays not waste a ton of time moving Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from third over to first. The Minnesota Twins have moved Miguel Sano from third base over to first. Bobby Dahlbeck is a natural third baseman. That That's his position. That's what he's played coming up through the minors. Why not just take the time to put Raphael over at first base and just let him play over there and then let JD's contract run up and then you can put him at DH. He's only going to have one more year on his rookie deal after that. So we got one co-host that'll be on the next show who seems to not think he's going to be long for Boston and maybe he's not, but, but I just feel like why not tinker with it? I think it solves a lot of problems. And then if Dahlbeck doesn't make it, I think Kike and Marwin are better off playing third base. So it could potentially solve a lot of problems. And I wonder if any of that is tied into the Devers contract situation. Because if he's not long for Boston, and if they get the feeling that, hey, you know, we can't get this guy to sign, we might have another Mookie Betts situation on our hands. He's more valuable if you can sell to other teams that he's a third baseman, as opposed to, yeah, he was so bad at third base, we had to move him to first because he can't throw and he's not that good defensively. Um, so I wonder if that's tied in. I wonder if their stubbornness or their unwillingness to move him to first is tied into the fact they're going, we've got to keep his value high because we may not be able to sign him and we might have to move him. Now that's obviously, that's a long way in the future. That's not going to happen anytime soon if it does happen. And that might be a long shot thought on my end anyway. But if they get the feeling that they're running into a Mookie situation where they just can't get the numbers to, to line up with this guy and they can't get a contract going, they might just say, you know what? It's going to be rough, but we've got to keep him at third because if we can sell to other teams that he's a third baseman as opposed to a bad third baseman that we had to move to first, we'll get more for him. And I wonder if that factors into the thinking at all. Well, actually, with a week left to go in spring training, the Red Sox, according to Devers, had not made any contact with him or his agent in regards to an extension. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that'll be a topic for another show. I have some really strong feelings on that. But, uh, Charlie, just thoughts on the possibility of maybe trying him out at, at first base. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, real talk, plain and simple. What's the worst that could happen? That's a good point. I mean, you know, Mike Napoli in 2013, I listened that, that whole winter I was hearing it from everyone. He's going to be awful at first base. He's going to be awful at first base. And then and then when Dave Dombrowski said, oh, Hanley Ramirez can play first base, I laughed my ass off. <laughs> and he, he was, I, in my opinion, an above average first baseman. I don't know what the metrics actually say, but he was scooping a lot of balls out of the dirt and looked adequate. But But, yeah, go ahead, Charlie. Sorry. No, I mean, that's that's the thing, like, to, to be short and sweet about it, like, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, we, you, you just mentioned it. 
Uh, Hanram originally was a shortstop, then converted to third base, then back to short, then became a left fielder when he came to Boston, and then was trying out first base. Mike Napoli was a, a longtime Texas Ranger and Los Angeles Angel catcher, and then they kind of converted him. I don't know how long into the into the marriage with baseball that he became a first baseman, second baseman, and then it was just full-time first baseman, and that was his big thing. Um, did experiment with a little bit in the outfield too, but that, that wasn't his thing. Um, give it a shot. I mean, he's not going to strike out as many, as many times as Dahlbeck or Chavis. If he can play better defensive first base, uh, that opens the door for Xander to go possibly to third and then potentially a signing for a shortstop. Hint, hint, Chaim Bloom. Are you listening, Chaim? That's all. Yeah. I don't think he's listening, but... Um, but yeah, (laughs) um, yeah, I, it's just a thought and I've had in, in seasons past when I've, I've mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the homers would say, Oh, he's a third baseman. Shame on you. And every year it's the same story. And he's, in my opinion, he will be the best offensive player at the end of the season, especially given the fact that who else is going to be maybe JD, maybe Verdugo, um, I think it's going to be Devers and, and his bat is going to take a lot of the attention off of his defense to the point where he'll just, we'll just live with it as we have, you know, in the second halves of all the past seasons. But, but there's no mystery to the fact that he's one of the worst in the league and I don't see why he has to be. And so we'll see. Uh, just over an hour into it, so why don't we uh, take a look ahead at the Tampa Bay series, which I am dreading because um, that's a very dynamic team, and I think they're 2-1 and one on the season. But on uh, tomorrow night, we actually get some night games, so most people who work normal schedules are going to be able to see it. Uh, Michael Waka versus Nick Pavetta, two reclamation projects. Then on Tuesday, we got Tyler Glasnow versus Martin Perez, Perez Day. I have a feeling it's going to be Glasnow Day. But, uh, and then game three, Ryan Yarbrough and Nathan Avoldi. So, so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I can't wait to see what they can do with Waka down there in Tampa. But Pavetta has been a very interesting case so far. So that's an intriguing game to me. Yeah, I I look at that series and if the Red Sox offense is what it's cracked up to be, which so, so far it has not been, they should win two out of three. Like, I think they can beat Waka and I think they can beat Yarborough. Um, I think Glasnow is going to murder them. I, I don't think that's going to be a competitive game at all. I think Glasnow is just going to have his way with them. Um but Waka, I'm I'm not high on Michael Waka. I, I think that it was a smart signing by Tampa because they had to take a shot and fill out their rotation, but I don't think he's all that good. And I think Yarborough was just an average lefty, you know, not not that good at all. So they should win two out of three, but then again, they should have won three in a row this weekend, and that didn't happen. So I have no idea. I, I don't know what this offense is gonna do. I feel like one day it, you know it could pop off at any minute and they could score 10 runs or it's going to be three more days of just JD Martinez doing all the work and 
no one else doing anything and Bobby Dahlbeck's going to strike out 11 times in the next three days or something. Like it's, it's really hard to tell with this offense. Pavetta is a complete mystery. He was good in the spring, but he's a guy who's never been good throughout his career in the regular season. So like you said, reclamation project from the Red Sox, um, no idea what you're going to get from him. So it's going to be that this is a big series. If they, they drop two out of three and they start out one and five, Oof. like it's it's just the last thing they need. So hopefully they can at least take two out of three. Charlie. So you you hit up on um on the series. I mean, here's the thing. We're not gonna be glass now. If we be glass now, that's a, a double win. One, because you you won against a player you shouldn't have. And two, it kind of makes up for one of the losses that you shouldn't have had against Baltimore. So that's a two. That's a twofer in my book. Pavet against Waka. It could go either way. It really, it really can't go either way. But I think Pavetta will get the dub because, similar to what we're saying, we don't know what Michael Waka is going to do. He used to be really good when he's a Cardinal. I remember him in the World Series, and that was intimidating. Like seeing this young kid come up there and do work. Um, unfortunately, he didn't have a good time against Boston at the time. But it is what it is. Glasnow wins Game Two. I think the Red Sox win Game One. And it's going to come down to whoever pitches better in game three. That's it. If Eovaldi can get into the sixth inning, I think the Red Sox have a good shot. If he doesn't go six innings, no. I think it'll be Tampa Bay taking two out of three and us sitting cute at one and five. I'm the most optimistic about the third game with Eovaldi. I mean, he's been semi-consistent. Had a you know a couple of blips in spring training, but uh, looked very good. In uh, the the opening game of the year, and when the second time of the order came through, he was making adjustments, so that was good to see. Uh, with Waka and Pavetta, if either team is up 7 to nothing after the second inning, I'm not going to be surprised either way. I'm really not. So, uh, Glass now, mailing it in. Uh, it'll be fun to watch him. You know, because he could win a Cy Young. He's he's that good. And I guess he has, uh, like how tinkered with a third pitch to kind of make himself more well-rounded. So we'll be looking for that. They've got off to a decent start offensively. Manuel Margot, 4 for 10. Yandy Diaz, 3 for 10. Austin Meadows, 3 for 11 with two home runs so far. So... Uh, scoring some runs, firing on all cylinders. I will say Meadows had one of the worst defensive games in the outfield that I've ever seen. Uh, it was, I think, two nights ago. So um, if he has the yips at Fenway, then uh, that could help our case a little bit. But um, that's a team. Manuel Margo, he's going to be a pain in our rear end all year long. I, I just know it. He shined throughout the postseason last year. He's not afraid of anything. And I kind of wonder, is he going to be one of those? Could he be like a a Dustin Pedroia, Jose Altuve, sneaky MVP at some point? I just, I don't know. Nothing shocks me anymore. And uh, don't forget about Randy Arozarena because dude could be a stud. Like an out-of-nowhere Mookie Betts type rise. I wouldn't be shocked. And yes, yeah. I just said Mar- Margot but... is. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say Margot is like a guy that I was annoyed when they gave him up in the first place, you know. And and I got I understand you got Kimbrel for it, 
and Kimbrell was valuable for the time that he was here. He helped you win a World Series. But I think Margot is going to be one of those guys that you look at and go, why do we give him up again for a relief pitcher? Because I agree. I think he's got all the tools. He just And he's probably in the best place to put it all together now down there in Tampa. Yeah, and but the one thing, though, I mean, Kimbrell was traded for at the end of the 2015 season, and it took Margot a while to really break out. So, But he did, and he certainly did. So, yeah. Charlie, final thoughts on the series? Um, well, it can't possibly go as bad as the first one. So let's keep our heads up, folks. You know, um, if, if Tampa Bay can do what we know they can do as far as development of pitching, and they can make Michael Waka look good, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with the um, with the starter that just came back there. Uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank on his Chris name. Chris Archer. He, yeah, Chris Archer, who's a stu- who was a stud, and he left. Didn't do that much in in uh, I believe it was Pittsburgh. It could be intimidating, like that rotation. It, it's it's always Tampa Bay. Like Tampa Bay always has Boston's number. We used to always have Baltimore's number, except for the past couple of years. So. In the interest of, in the interest of trying to be somewhat optimistic, I think that we will see a win in this series. It just is a question of will it be one or two? <laughs> That's it. We need it to be two. If we need it to be three, but we'll take we two. Do, we do need it to be three. <laughs> yeah, but if you can get two, that makes you two and six at the end of the series, and then we'll get another crack at Baltimore. Maybe maybe we'll have it together. You know, with the recency mm-hmm. and, and reps that we've had. Um, and then maybe we come out of that series looking a little more competitive. So at this point, I think if we're 500 at the end of April, that's great. Because there's some tough teams coming up as well. So, um, but we'll see. That was, we got thumped. We got thumped so bad. I, I'll feel less crappy about it if if baltimore is like the biggest underdog world series representative of the al of all time because <laughs> yeah and they've yeah. got they've got some smart gms in there they that come from houston so they they will be a juggernaut at some point so for the listening audience we will be back wednesday night to talk about what the hell did happen against the tampa bay rays and how nick pavetta looked and hopefully how the offense turned it around and look for us uh, i guess technically on your thursday morning commute so enjoy the series and enjoy the rest of the games throughout the league and we'll be back with you just a few days take care